Good morning. Hi, everyone. It's good to be here. Okay, so you're thinking, who is this person and what has she done with Gathright? But I have the clicker, so I'm in charge. Um, speaking of this clicker, it wasn't really working well for me before um, when we were practicing. So if I have like a deer in the headlights look, just bear with me for a second. Hopefully, it'll catch up. So um, actually, my being here on the stage has been about 30 months in the making. So if you don't know me at all, I'm Megan Francis. Um, I sing sometimes at gatherings. And I spoke at a Story Sunday a few years ago. But I was actually supposed to lead the gathering on March 15th, 2020. Um, <laughs> so does anybody remember what was going on instead on March 15th, 2020? I can tell you for sure I wasn't here, uh, and neither were you. So um, if you don't remember that specific date, that was the weekend that life, as we all know it, changed. We had been talking about COVID-19 for weeks by that point, but back then we just called it the coronavirus. Um, but that was the week the, the dominoes really started to fall with the announcements that schools would be shut down and restaurants and retail stores would close. So I got the text on Thursday that the gathering would be canceled that coming Sunday. And I'll be honest, there was a little part of me that was pretty relieved, <laughs> but a bigger part of me thought, like, how can this be? How can something I had just counted on that I assumed was going to happen, it was just done, canceled, along with school for my kids and church and people going to work and going out to eat? <laughs> and then what's going to happen to my family and my friends and my neighbors and the world? So here I am 30 months later, and I feel like this has got to be the biggest buildup to a gathering in storyline history. Um, I'm not superstitious, but I am glad to be here now because it just proves that asking me to do something um, doesn't always result in a global crisis. But let's not get ahead of ourselves because the day is still young, right? <laughs> okay. So when I was given the chance to give speaking another shot, I actually took out the talk that I had written more than two and a half years ago, and I just planned to just dust it off and use it. But it just didn't feel right. Um, there was nothing wrong with the talk that I was going to give in March of 2020. In fact, it was like probably the best talk anyone was ever going to give ever. You're just going to have to trust me on this. Uh, but looking at it now in the fall of 2022, it just didn't fit. It didn't fit inside the bigger story of all of our lives that have been unfolding for almost three years now. Because life has really, really changed. Uh, I think sometimes we don't really fully realize how drastically different our lives are now and really how rapidly those changes happened. And the way we work, the way we shop, entertain ourselves, socialize, it's all different now, like in big ways and in small ways. And some of those changes, many of those changes, are probably here to stay. And the truth is, even without a pandemic, things are changing all the time. It's just that usually those changes aren't so quick, they're not so drastic as literally going from pretty much normal to completely shut down in a matter of a few days. But no matter what, we're all living in changes all the time. And we might try to make sense of them while they're in the middle, but we really can't make sense of them until we have a lot of distance, until we can really see the bigger picture. I just want to share a quick memory of the early pandemic that makes me laugh and cringe when I think about it. So this was probably like a month into lockdown, and one day I needed, I don't know, like a toothbrush or shampoo or something. And these were the days, if you remember, where to get a delivery appointment would sometimes take days, or sometimes there weren't any available. So I just decided to venture out to Meijer, 
And you know how Meyer has like the fresh side and the home side, it's like the groceries and like everything else. Um, but in those days, the home side was like a ghost town because you weren't really supposed to be in there. <laughs> you would still see a lot of people on the fresh side, they'd be getting groceries and like trying to follow the arrows and then screwing up and then the real followers would be mad at you know, me. Um, but most of the time, we weren't really supposed to be out doing pleasure shopping, right? You just didn't see a lot of people on that side of the store. So on that day, I'm one of a very small handful of people on the home side of Meyer, and there's nobody around, but I'm like walking through so fast with purpose, right? Because if I walk slowly, that might indicate that I was enjoying myself and that was not allowed. Not allowed. This was only for you, the necessities, purely utilitarian. So everything's going along just great until suddenly I pop out of the shampoo aisle and I'm right by all the cute potted plants. So I'm like, mm -hmm. Just kind of grab one, make sure no one's watching, and I put it in my cart. And then I saw that there was nobody in the magazine section, so I kind of browsed that for a little while. I didn't touch anything, okay? I just browsed. There was nobody there. And then I kind of wandered a little bit more, and the next thing I know, I'm in the danger zone. I am in the scented candle section. <laughs> so I don't think I have ever wanted anything in my life as much as I wanted to sniff a candle right at that moment. And so I'm doing this and that, and there's nobody around. But I kind of circled the candle section a few times, just making sure, you know, just want to make, make sure. And then finally, I just lifted the edge of my mask and I sniffed a candle. And it was like the best thing I ever smelled. So I work my way down the aisle, sniffing. My heart's racing the entire time, like I'm breaking the law. And then I didn't want to put anything back. So I put like 11 candles in my cart. <laughs> And then I had to do the walk of shame through the checkout and out to my car with 11 candles and a potted plant. Um, like, nothing made any, like, nothing logical about any of this behavior. For one thing, I already had candles at home. <laughs> I could have just sniffed those. I don't know. But on the other hand, my level of guilt and fear of being busted were pretty disproportionate because even at that time, we didn't think, and we were pretty sure now the virus wasn't spreading through surfaces. It wasn't like traveling hundreds of feet through the air. So I knew logically sniffing candles in like a deserted Meyer section was not likely to be a super spreader event. But my entire way of looking at the world and my place in it and the simplest activities had changed. Sorry, completely changed basically overnight. Because remember, the news kept reminding us that those times were unprecedented, right? It makes sense. We were all making illogical, emotion-driven decisions in all kinds of directions because we had absolutely no distance from the story as it was playing out. We had no hindsight. We had no foresight. We had nothing to rely on except that moment. Nothing like that had ever happened in our lifetime. We had no idea what was going to change from day to day or where things would be in a week or a month or a year. And so that uncertainty led to a lot of fear and frustration and some rogue moments like the one I experienced in the Meyer candle section. <laughs> so you might be asking, okay, Megan, what does this have to do with the story of Jesus or a life of faith or really any of the things I came to Storyline to hear someone other than you talk about? And that is a fair question. Um, before we dive into that, I do want to give you a little background on me so you know where I'm coming from. Um, I'm 40-something, divorced mom of five kids, all teenagers and young adults, so change is basically the central theme of my life right now. And I'm also someone who has 
I really struggled to make sense of the Christian story the way it is often presented in church, where it often seems like there's no questions allowed, no attempts at critical thinking allowed. I walked away from my faith in my early adult years because I just couldn't get the messages coming from my experience with the church to jive with what it seemed to me that Jesus was actually saying in the Bible. But then I actually questioned my faith so hard (laughs) that it took me in a complete circle back to it. Because at the end of the day, no other story really made sense. So when I zoom way, way, way out, that story of Jesus is still the one that feels the most honest and true to me. But that doesn't mean the details of the story always make sense, Um, especially when they run up against the details of my own personal plot line. So today we're going to be exploring what it means to be in the middle of a story where the changes are happening so quickly you can't make sense of them, or where you can't see the end of the story, or even know how much of the story is left. And I'm going to try as best I can to relate that to the story of Jesus' life and death, and what we can maybe try to take away from that as we navigate our own stories. So when the pandemic started, I was in my early 40s, and now I'm 45. So that might not seem like a huge difference on paper from 42 to 45, but it feels really different to me. At 45, I am unmistakably middle-aged. Like, it's pretty likely that I've already passed the actual midpoint of my life, and if I haven't yet, I'm going to be up against it soon, but I'll have no idea when it's passed, which is also mind-blowing. And there are just some great things about that, like just surrendering to that fact. Um, My collection of reading glasses right now is like, it's amazing. And at 45, I'm just now finally starting to get a handle on FOMO, which means fear of missing out. So this is not quite the same as YOLO, um, although sometimes FOMO leads to YOLO and vice versa. It's confusing, so maybe find like a younger person after the gathering to explain it. But my particular brand of FOMO used to mean, and probably still does, it meant that I felt like if things were good, they would just continue to get better and be amazing so I better not go to bed, right? I was really good at closing the party down because I couldn't let go. (laughs) And often I would hang on to attachments and habits that really didn't serve a purpose in my life. And this is where my 40s have been such a gift. So in my early 40s, I was finally starting to learn that typically nothing good happens after midnight. Um, But by 45, I learned that that's actually like 9.30. So that's where I'm at. (laughs) But I'm not completely cured of my FOMO. I still often find myself clinging to the moment that I'm in, feeling like maybe this is as good as it's ever going to get. And sometimes it's the opposite, and I get bogged down in a moment because I can't see a bigger picture where things get better than they are right now. Never thought you 
taking this backstage. <laughs> I will lose it. <laughs> so, since the beginning of time, there have been like two kinds of stories playing out. There's the big global collective story, but then there's also the countless smaller individual stories playing out. And sometimes they're inside the bigger story, and sometimes they seem outside of the bigger story. I know for sure a big part of my personal struggle with faith has been when I don't really like where this bigger story is going. I don't like how it lines up or doesn't line up with my personal story. Sometimes it's very inconvenient to my personal story. And I wonder, where's God in all this? And when's he going to step in and move things in the direction I want them to go? <laughs> Over the past several months here at Storyline, we've been working through the book of John. And it so happens that this week we landed on chapter 18. 
So Mike Gathright asked if I thought I'd be able to touch on John 18 in my talk. I really wasn't sure if I wanted to. As material goes, I wound up with a pretty dark chapter. So I will just kind of summarize. At the beginning, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, grappling with his human mortality, the events he knows are about to unfold over the next few days. Interestingly, John's gospel doesn't actually go too much into what actually happens in the garden, but from other gospels, we know he asked his friends to stay up with him, and they didn't, even though they weren't even close to their 40s yet. Come on, guys. So at this point, Jesus is begging God for a way out of everything that he knows is about to happen to him. And then in John 18, it gets worse. We learn about Judas's betrayal, the soldiers taking Jesus away, Peter denies him three times. The high priest questions him. Uh, Jesus goes before Pontius Pilate, who was the Roman governor, who had a chance to set him free, but instead yielded to the mob, who asked to release this other guy, Barabbas, who, according to the Gospels, had quite a rap sheet. So just let that sink in. The crowd is demanding that a known robber, murderer, and insurrectionist should be released instead of Jesus. And spoiler alert... The story's about to get worse. And while Jesus knew what was going to happen to him, it's not exactly clear how much he knew about the details. Because he was fully God, but also fully man. So he was experiencing human emotions, including pain and fear. And he chose to surrender to this story and the bigger picture anyway. Now, th thousands of years later, we look back at this story. We don't know where it falls on our timeline, on the bigger timeline, because we're still in it. And I think we want to know... How far have we come? And how much further do we have to go? And what specifically is going to happen to us along the way? I know I would prefer a timeline that I can easily wrap my arms around, right? But the story of creation and humanity and life on Earth is still playing out, and we can only see the parts of it that we can see. So the question becomes, do we believe that there is a bigger story? And is it the story we want to be a part of? And if the answer is yes, which for me it is, then everything else going on around me can start to feel like a lot of really confusing details to get bogged down in. So what can I stay focused on so that I don't get lost in them? I've talked a lot about midlife today, so I'm going to tell another story that I think um, maybe some younger parents might identify with. This picture is me. Um, <laughs> If this looks vaguely familiar to you, it has actually been making the rounds as a meme for about 10 years now. Uh, I got picked up off of my Facebook page, and here's the most recent version that was having a moment a month or two ago. I don't, every version they cropped the top of my head off. I guess I don't, I'm just, anyway. <laughs> this picture is about 20 years old. Um, it's me, six months pregnant with my third son at a family wedding, um, carrying my second oldest son, Isaac, away from a photo shoot that I mean, well, you see how it went, right? <laughs> uh, it was so bad that I had to, like, throw him under one arm and then, you know, carry him away from the scene. And my stepmom happened to be standing there and grabbed a shot as I did that trudge past. I was wearing heels, by the way, so check that out. I later shared it on Facebook. It got picked up and memefied, and, and there it is. It's like one of the most stressful moments of my life as a mom went viral. So when this picture was taken... I was right in the middle of this story of my life as a young mom. 
I had two small kids, I had another one on the way, and then I would go on to have two more after him, because again, remember, sometimes I don't know when to call it quits. And I wasn't a brand new mom. Like, I had some stuff figured out, but I had so much to learn, and I was still in the middle of that particular story. So it would be easy for me or you to look at this picture and just think that my life was a morning to night horror show at that time, right? But actually, looking back, that's not how I remember that chapter of my story. So don't get me wrong, I had a lot going on, um, and a pretty large chunk of it was like objectively not going well at that point, right? And being a mom to little kids is hard no matter what. And then when you have a really spirited child, which is the nice way that we refer to that, it can be so exhausting. But I was lucky to have enough experience parenting at that point and watching other kids grow up that I knew three-year-olds don't stay three forever. I believed, which is just another word for having faith in something, that things couldn't stay as they were. So in the morning, I would wake up, and I would just be like, oh, okay, this is going to be a day. You know, <laughs> this is going to be a day. But I also knew that on some level, one day, things would have to change. So I didn't really begrudge Isaac, my little three-year-old, his particular brand of threeness. It was just him. I also knew that part of the work of being a mom was getting through those hard times because there was a bigger purpose to it. So it wasn't just about the daily grind of like dragging a kid out from under the rack at Target again or wondering if he was going to pull a dresser over on himself again. It was leading somewhere, right? And for me, there was a larger reason to keep going. Knowing that there was that bigger story helped keep me from getting too bogged down in the details. And looking back, I actually found plenty to love about the life I had in those days, despite this one moment of my life being so chaotic, it became literally a cautionary tale for other parents. And by the way, Isaac calmed down a lot um, by the time he was seven or so, and now he is a lovely and very chill young man of 23. So if you're a parent of uh, the kid on the left, um, it can get better and, and probably will. So I'm sure there are some of you in this room who feel 100% secure in your faith and your beliefs every single day. And there are, you're 100% certain what lies on the other side of this life for you with no doubts. And there's a lot I envy about that. If that's you, I'm not sure I have anything very helpful to offer you, but do hang around because the last song is going to be really good, so stick, stick it out. But I'm really talking to all the rest of us right now, right? Maybe you feel drawn to storyline, and you don't know why. Maybe someone dragged you here once, and you found some little part of yourself connecting with some little part of what was happening, so you just kept coming back. And maybe you've been on the edge of giving up on your faith entirely, but you're just looking for a reason to hold on. And I know what it's like to be in that place because I was there about 20 minutes ago. Often religion teaches us to think that buying into the story is the price of admission. Um, to belong, to be a decent person, or to get into heaven, you have to believe specific things. And that gets really complicated for me because then I have to start pulling at the threads and saying, well, okay, but am I still in if I believe this part, but I'm not sure about that part? Am I still in if I can't always make all the details work out in my brain? So I've actually found it helpful just to cut through all that and say, okay, here's one thing I know for sure. 
Jesus is an example, or really the example, of what it means to live what we think of as the good life. And that helps me see his story and ultimately his message through a totally different lens. When I was in school, I somehow managed to pass several levels of algebra without ever actually learning how to do algebra. Uh, sometime early on, I figured out this really complicated workaround that would allow me to get the right answer on a multiple choice test without ever having to grasp how I got there or why. And that worked really well when most of the problems looked like this. Um, then the problems got a little more complicated <laughs> and a little more complicated after that. And at some point, I was confronted with some kind of nonsense like this. And uh, yeah. My workarounds completely stopped working. It took me getting all the way to Algebra 3 to realize why my pre-algebra teacher wouldn't give us credit unless we showed our work. She knew if I didn't have the foundations down, I would eventually get lost in the details. I think sometimes that's what happens to us when we're trying, trying to figure out how to figure God out. We flail around in the weeds, we come up with more and more complicated workarounds, and the whole time, Jesus is right there saying, okay, but you're going to love each other. Oh, nope, <laughs> let's try this again. Uh, what you're going to do here is love each other. And then, you know, we get complicated again and we mess it up again. And then he's there to come back to that same message. Hey, guys, remember what I said about love? In his short time in human form, that's what he came back to again and again. And he knew everyone else's stories. He just didn't get stuck in them. He didn't get stuck in their jobs or their backgrounds or their beliefs or their politics. He literally brought everyone of every kind to the table and then just kept bringing them all back around to the big picture, fully knowing he would personally experience immense suffering because of and in all the details. So let's circle back to Jesus in the garden begging God for some way out. We all know God jumping in to let him off the hook is not how this story ends. And the rest of John 18 really shows what Jesus' surrender to the bigger story looked like. I've read different opinions about how much Jesus may have known or not known about exactly what was going to happen to him, but no matter what, knowing something and actually going through that thing are two very different things. And we all see as we move through the rest of John 18, all we see is Jesus willingly moving the plot forward. Uh, verses 10 and 11 really stick out to me. There's soldiers and officials showing up in the garden. They're ready to seize Jesus, and Simon Peter is ready to go into battle. He actually cuts off the high priest's servant's ear with his sword, but Jesus tells him to put the sword away because he is committed to seeing this all the way through. When you zoom out and read the whole story, the big picture to me is that he seems to face it all, Judas's betrayal, his persecution, Simon Peter's denial, and even his own crucifixion with his eyes firmly on the big picture. And incredibly, it seems, no hard feelings. When my body won't hold me anymore And if I'm 
sets me free Will I be ready When my feet won't walk another mile And my lips give their last kiss goodbye Will my hands be steady When I lay down my fears My hopes and my doubts The rings on my fingers And the keys to my house Will know When the sun hangs low in the west And the light in my chest won't be kept Held at bay any longer When the jealousy fades away And it's ash and dust of cash and lights And it's just hallelujah and loving the thoughts, loving the words, loving the songs they sing in the church and know our feelings. Lord knows they haven't done much good for it. Keep me afraid. 
So I used to think that there was maybe something out there that would suddenly change the parts of the Bible and that story that I find unbelievable or just unpalatable, like some smoking gun or aha moment buried in the text or uncovered by theologians or historians or science that would make it all come together clearly. But now I think the real key is believing in the big picture even when I can't understand the details. There are things I understand now about the week of March 15th, 2020, that I could not possibly have understood 30 months ago. And there are things I'll know in 10 years that I couldn't possibly know now. And there are things none of us can ever know during our time on Earth. But Jesus' life provided a roadmap for how to remember and then surrender to that bigger picture of love even when literally everything else is scary and confusing and unclear. And 2,000 years later, that story is maybe even more relevant and true than it was then. I can't think of a better story, and that's why I'm here today. So thank you for sharing your morning with me. Let's pray. God, thank you that technology did not fail me this morning, and that I'm still here. I know there are so many details right now, so many things happening in the world, so much fear and anger and frustration, and I would just ask that you help us keep the big picture in mind. In Jesus' name, amen.